So I'm so excited to have with me today two awesome people that come so highly recommended, Tay and Val. Um, I really want you guys to watch your testimonials because they're just amazing. And I was introduced by Dr. Perpetua Neo, and you know they're doing some amazing stuff. Their TEDx talk was great. So before further ado, I'm just going to welcome Tay and Val. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. And so. And this is Val. <laughs> right, yeah, because I, I wanted to like kind of do who is who, so that is great that you guys did that. Um, so can you share with us, what do you guys do? Go, Val. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. Um, so in our consulting business, what we do is we help leaders as well as conscious companies infuse purpose into their day-to-day, -day, into the way they run their business. So as to create, really at the end of the day, we hope to create an enlightened economy. Mm, I love so that. So that's what we do in our consulting business. Um, we also run, or rather we lead a meditation, a modern meditation movement here in Seattle, whereby we uh, try to expose as many people as possible to this powerful that's been around for ages, um, known as meditation, but without the, I want to say maybe some of the, the, the myths of the what myths, meditation yeah. is, the stereotypes of meditation, like things like you have to sit cross-legged when you're meditating, you have to close your eyes when you're meditating. And the, the thing that really gets to me, you have to empty your mind of thoughts. That is not true. And we um, try to teach it in a way that's more accessible and more approachable for modern city dwellers. So that's what we do at M Meditation. And then what else? Oh, and we are writing a book. And that book is about, it's like a spin-off from our TED Talk. Um, it's really about how two crazy young television producers and directors quit their careers and went bicycling around the world asking people an overwhelmingly simple question. What is your dream? Yeah. I love that. This is the first time I'm doing a two people interview. So this is really exciting for me. Um, I have so many questions. First off, I actually thought you had to empty your mind. So it's good to know that you don't. And I'm going to ask you guys more about that. But first off, like, how did you guys get together? How did, how did you two meet? We met 14 years ago because we just got married. I got the numbers. <laughs> awesome. We met 14 years ago on a set. So back then I was television director, producer. And Val was actually an actress. Yeah, so we actually met on a set. Yeah. That's great. Were you guys in Singapore back then or were you in yeah. Seattle? Okay. We were in can Singapore. You... Oh, okay. So can you tell us more about like how did you end up in going from Singapore to Seattle? So 2010, March 30th, we quit our careers. We sold everything that we had. Um, say goodbye to everyone we knew in Singapore and decided to go on a cycling journey around the world. So we mm. mounted two bicycles, uh, took four panniers, two laptops, two cameras <laughs> and decided to go around the world to ask people one question, what is your dream? And wanted to document all of that. So that journey brought us from Singapore to Taiwan, from Taiwan to Japan, Japan and then Hawaii and then to Mexico, and then from Mexico went down south all the way to uh, Peru, and we came up to LA. And then from LA, we got invited to do two TEDx in Seattle, and we came up to Seattle. So that was what brought us to Seattle. 
Wow. And then we never left. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, because you guys have very established careers. So I'm just curious, when you said goodbye to your friends and family, did you say, oh, we're going to go around the world and just ask this question? I mean, it, it seems like quite, you know, even, oh, I think the connection is unstable. Yeah, what did people say and what did you think and why did you, why did you leave your job? Um, so to... to to cut the long story short, um, I became a really successful television producer uh, after 10 years in the job, right? Um, and, and to me, I didn't understand why I felt so empty inside. I didn't understand why there was a hole inside me that could never be filled. And I always thought, you know, getting the next bigger award will fill up this hole inside me. I didn't understand why I finished a marathon and I at the finishing line where everybody goes, yeah. And, and I turn around and ask myself, uh, what's next? <laughs> so, and then, so what? And then what's yeah. next? Right. It was the same thing that happened when I went to New York and get my gold medal award for the best direction for a documentary. I took the award, went back to my hotel room and it was just emptiness. It was just, there was nothing exciting about it. There was no fulfillment. There was no happiness. I didn't understand how I could feel this hole within me. And so that was like the question, the thing that I've been trying to, to fill up, the void, for a long time until I met Val. And this, this idea of going around the world to inspire people to live their dreams lights me up. It's like, yeah. Yeah, why not? <laughs> and then I think to answer your question, it's very hard for, for people to truly understand our perspective, our inner landscape, unless they were literally wearing our shoes and walking in them for miles. And naturally, I want to think and I, I want to believe that everybody expressed concern because they wanted the best for us. Though sometimes the way they express concern is... I don't think you should do it. <laughs> is, that sounds too crazy and audacious an idea. Or it can come out in, who do you think you are to do something like that? Right? Mm -hmm. um, we, right also yeah. had, we also had a lot of friends who knew us, like knew who we are. And they were not surprised. They were like, oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. We we um, at kind of like a low point in our lives, we actually met somebody in Taiwan, a sixty-five year old gentleman. And when we met him, he owns a train B and B at the at the seaside in the west coast of Taiwan, at a place where you at that point you could not Google Map to get there. So to us. He spent his entire retirement you know, savings buying something and building something that was in the middle of nowhere, right? And so when we met him, we asked him, like, why do you build a train B&B in the middle of nowhere? It was like the most unfavorable, unfavorable conditions for success, right? But he did it anyway because he was mm -hmm. doing it for himself. He was doing mm -hmm. it as a passion, he was doing it to fulfill his dream. And I think because he had that passion and that intention driving it, it eventually became a success. Nowadays, you want to stay in that B&B, you want to have lunch there, you have to book weeks if not months in advance, right? And it's still in, it is still a B&B in the middle of nowhere. 
Mm. Yeah, but when we met him, I saw, I saw the light in his eyes. You know, he will wake up mm. at four, five a.m. in the morning, and he will start preparing food for the Airbnb for the for the BNB. He will clean up the space. He will get the orders in. He will get the rooms ready. He's like full of energy and he's full of life. And I asked myself, like, why is this 65-year-old man more passionate about life than <laughs> the both of us combined? It doesn't make any sense, mm. right? He has something that I want. And what is that? Mm. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I have to ask you, like, first off, how do you ask people what is your dream? Like, you know, you guys are TV producers. I'm sure you guys have more experience opening people up. But in my mind, you know, how, how did you even start that? You know, go to a foreign country, um, I guess Taiwan doesn't have language barriers, but you went to Japan, you went to Peru. Um, how did you like, or maybe you guys all know the language, I don't know. Um, how did you like collect people's answers and what did they say? I want to say naively. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm not kidding you. Um, the good first half of our journey, we were so naive. We, I, mean, I think it was that naiveness that created that safety, that non-judgment, the space of safety and non, no, no judgment at all for whatever answer you were going to give us um, that enabled people to open up and actually answer from a deeper place. Um, so that's, that's how we asked in terms of intention-wise, how do we ask it? In terms of language barriers, we, we got creative. So in Japan, we had somebody, we had a friend translate for us our mission our cause and the question that we want to ask onto placards so we copied it character by character from her email onto two placards and then we just brought those placards with us everywhere we went and we just like yeah we will stop people on the street <laughs> and say look at this yeah, so <laughs> we said, can you look at this and then they were like they, yes? either, they either say yes but they will participate or they will just wave us away and we instead of getting people to answer us verbally what their dreams were, we got people to draw them out. Wow! If, they, if they write it out, we wouldn't understand. Yeah, we wouldn't understand it either. If so they say it to us, we would we actually wouldn't understand either. But when we draw something, we believe that that would be an international language. Yeah, like you, that's, you can make out what you make out of this. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. So that's what we did. And then in in Latin America, the first week that we were there, we were taken in by two. Uh, Spanish teachers so they basically they run a business whereby they teach tourists how to or travelers how to speak Spanish um, and so they gave us like an intensive every day for one week we would go and meet them for two to three hours and they basically translated our project our mission and what we're doing into Spanish and we just did it wrote memory we had no idea what we were saying we just memorized the sounds and repeated it <laughs> Until, until but I want to say by the 10th, probably the 10th media interview we had in Mexico, we got a sense because the questions sound, started sounding similar. similar. <laughs> we got a sense of what, what people were saying to us. And nowadays, when people ask us, how did you learn to speak Spanish so well? We were like, <laughs> we learned it on the streets and on TV interviews and radio interviews. But in the beginning, we were just making sounds. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, what were some of your... I guess, what was the first answer that you got? And what were some of the most memorable answers you had? I remember um, when we were in Taiwan, there, there was one day a, a, we were couch surfing. So we went to a, a English teacher's house and she, her mission was to teach 
uh, elementary school students or middle school students like English English through storytelling. So when we, we went to her house, she was really, really excited. She wanted us to go to her school to share our stories with the students. And so that was what happened. We went to a school and shared our stories with like 100 uh, students in an auditorium, right? But it was my, it was my very first public sharing session. I, it was my very first time that I moved from behind the camera to in front of an audience to talk. So I was so nervous. I ended up asking these students the wrong question. I wanted to ask them how many of you have a dream, right? And I ended up asking how many of you do not have a dream. Um, I don't, didn't know how it went there, but that was what came out from the mouth. And, and I wasn't expecting anyone to actually raise their hands because we're talking about eight to 10 year olds. And I always felt, I always thought that children, no matter what dream you have, you, you would definitely have a dream. You have something, even if it's like, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a fireman, I want to be a professor, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a doctor, like you will have something. But there was a row of girls sitting at the back of the auditorium. They, you know, their hands shot up in the air and they just said they have no dreams. And I was like, <laughs> bad. So there was like an awkward. And I think Val came in to say that. The particular scenario to anyone, anyone at all, you know, they shot their hands up to a question they're not supposed to shoot your hands up on, you immediately go to troublemakers, right? Like, that's it. Like, our entire sharing session is going to be ruined thanks to this group of girls at the back. <laughs> and actually, that was where we went because, like I said, we were naive <laughs> and we were human and therefore we had judgment. And what actually happened was there was this huge silence and the teachers and the principal gave us a look. It wasn't because they were troublemakers, but rather they were the honest students of the school. They were the best students. They were the best students of the school. They had earned that right to be seated at the back because it was their job to watch over right, their juniors and, and, and the cohort. And so everyone was really upset. Like, why would the role models of the school <laughs> not have passions, not have dreams? Um, and, and that was really the, the story behind the story. So we just went ahead. We did not knowing all of this. And in my mind, having all this judgment of like that, I have to prove these troublemakers wrong. We tried to turn the situation around. We shared as animatedly as we could. Um, and at the end of the sharing session, we actually had um, volunteers of the students coming down and writing on their hands, on their palms, what their dreams were. And everyone was just cheering and, you know, clapping. clapping. It was inspired. And inspired. It was just overall a really, really great atmosphere until <laughs> that same row of girls stood up from behind and they started marching down the aisle and you could gradually see the auditorium becoming more and more hushed near the stage and in mind very small very narrow-minded just full of judgment mind i was like please don't ruin this like we we yeah. did our best we, yeah i spent a whole hour trying to turn the situation around what are you doing here um and i remember what felt like the leader of the pack she stood right in front of everyone um, on the stage and she was just quiet and I'm like let's just get this over and done <laughs> her hands were like clenched but her hands were clenched really really tight 
And then as I, as I stood nearer to her, I noticed that she was shaking. And then after what felt like forever, probably to her and to me, she opened her palms and she said with this still, quiet voice, she said, I will find my dream. Wow. That's incredible. I think this is the best story I've ever heard from anybody. Seriously. Wow. Um, wow, this, that's just your first interview. And then you've got so much amazing stuff. <laughs> That's great. So you, you interviewed some students, which I was actually surprised too, you know, because I thought, you know, little kids like, you know, probably all have dreams. So that's really interesting. Did you find any differences in like older people, you know, people who um, were in jobs or maybe they wanted to make a switch? Like, did you, did you find anything that really surprised you when you interviewed people? Um, I think after, you know, 12 countries, after having collected about four or five thousand dreams. We found a similarity among all the dreams. Um, and that is like no matter no matter where you are on the income bracket, so called, like we've met the poorest of the poorest and met the richest of the richest. And we've stayed with these people in their houses. And if you ask them like what's stopping you between you and your dreams, they always give us the same answers. It is always money. Time, time, opportunity, and opportunity. And if you were to sort of like average out the answers of what everybody's dreams are, they boil down to the same essence, right? Happiness, peace, peace, fulfillment. That's incredible. I can't wait till your book comes out because I'm sure that you guys will, you know, talk more about it. But this is so fascinating to me. That's great. So, you know, now you are living in, you know, you went around the world. Why did you decide to, I'm not saying this as a bad way. Um, it's rainy right now where I am too. But why did you guys decide to uh, stay in uh, Seattle? Um, I believe that we go to places where our work is needed. And when we first got to um, United States in, in, in LA, we, we had a root shock in, in LA itself because I thought that we arrived in United States and every door would be open to us. Like the American dream and then we were in the city of dreams. Yeah. Of, course, every, like, of course, every door would be open to us. Of course, everyone wants to participate. Of course, everyone has an answer for us. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was the hardest city to be in, really. Wow. It, was the, it was the hardest place to actually get people to open up and share honestly what their dreams are. It almost felt like they were so beaten up in a way that they're not willing to share with you their deepest, deepest, deepest desires, afraid that they will not come true. They're not willing to say it. And, and like we were, we, were, we were trying so hard when we got to Los Angeles to, you know, go to a school to do a sharing session. But anywhere we could tell our stories that we wanted to do that, like just share and maybe we can move on to the next country. So we eventually, after what, three months or a month in, in, in LA, we finally got a, like a person who connected us to one of the big universities there. And there was like a, a chance, right? We, we finally had a name and we could write to somebody. So we wrote to somebody, like a professor, 
And then a few weeks later, this professor replied with, uh, our school only invites speakers who speaks English. It means we only work with speakers who present in English. So, so that was really a root shock, okay. right? Yeah. Um, that was like, what? Like, <laughs> like you're a professor, meaning you're well-educated, <laughs> meaning this email was also in English. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And so, and so the, we got a little bit, you know, upset and little. <laughs> triggered <laughs> and, and rebellious. It was like, all right. It, it was more of that desperation <laughs> to... I don't know. The probably half half fifty percent of us wanting to prove him wrong. Fifty mm. percent um, of us really wanting to get to those students in the college because we wish that when we were in college, someone else had came along and asked us that same question. We wish that someone would have done for us what we are doing for people. Yeah. Asking people what is your dream without any judgment of what what it is that you say, you know. Mm. And so Val decided one day she said. You watch. <laughs> I cannot get through to your students in life person. I will get through to them through a screen. So I'm going to apply for a TED talk. Oh, and, wow. and two weeks later, we got two invitations from Seattle. And so we and, came up here and we never left because the people really enjoyed our work and they wanted to help us take our work further. So from there, we ended up working with different cities in the Pacific Northwest. We worked with the city of Bellingham, city of Seattle, Redmond, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we put up just these public sharing events whereby um, the city funds us to put up a multimedia storytelling event where we share stories of our journey. We also highlight local and regional artists and their stories. Um, and then the public gets to come for free. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. So we stay on one hand because our work is needed here, and there are people who appreciate our work here. Yeah, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I see that you work with a lot of business owners, and you um, help empower them and kind of inspire them. So you know, I think the audience for you know people who are listening to this are probably more business owners. Um, can you share with us like what are some of the um, I guess, insights you gain from working with people who are entrepreneurs who are starting their own businesses. And you also talked a little bit about meditation. I still have more questions on that. So um, what, what kind of advice would you give to, you know, business owners? I think a lot of times we actually get the same question a lot, like because we, so on our journey, we have been taken in by a lot and I really mean a lot of teachers, shamans, healers, seers, and then I myself came from a spiritual family. So we've been doing spiritual business consulting for generations, and they know that we can see energies, we can read into the stories that they're telling themselves. So a lot of times people come to us and say, can you tell me, can you give me, just give me an advice, like what, do I, what is it that I need to know? And so we get that same question a lot, and my answer really is, what is the question that you're asking? Because I think by the time you are an entrepreneur, right, you are well-equipped, you're resourceful, and that's why you chose the path of entrepreneurship, and that's why the path of entrepreneurship um, chose you as well. So there really isn't an, a question you cannot answer, so long as you know what the question is. 
That's really deep. I haven't even thought about that, but that is that is actually true. That is the root of it. Awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit about meditation because I think this is just from my own curiosity. So you don't have to cross your legs. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to like blank out your mind. So what um, what is meditation to to you guys? How do you guys define it? Meditation to me is a it is a tool, okay, that helps you become centered and in that centeredness you know who you are and because you know who you are and what you stand for you can show up as your best self in each and every moment of of your life be it you are in a business meeting be it when you are pitching to an investor be it when you are teaching a class or be it when you are meeting a potential client you know a lot of times our minds get so caught up in our own narratives, our stories, our doubts, our fears. And, and when we show up, we are not 100%. Maybe we show up 70%. What if you... Right? That's way or disturbed by or distracted by the thing of you and you can show up that way like like what can you not accomplish so in essence meditation really is the practice of learning who you are by recognizing who and what you're not you're not your thoughts you're not your fears you're not your doubts and you most certainly are not the experiences that happen day to day it's so easy to say for example if you're a startup and you are looking for funding and you're in a room of investors it's so easy to lose your space and your intention and your passion for why you started that company in a room with them because you want to please them because you want them to sign on the dotted line right yeah. same thing if you're a bootstrapper you're on a call you're on a sales call with a potential client it's so easy to forget like your role here is to be of service and is to help whoever is on the other side of the line when and 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 instead you focus on oh I want to close this sale I want to close this sale people can feel that and when people can feel that people recognize that well maybe this, this isn't the best person for me to put my money with or isn't this isn't the best person to help me and so the kind of meditation that we share and that we hope more people will will practice is really the the practice the cultivation of self mm -hmm. like we're not asking you to go. Uh, sit for like 10 days 20 days a year to, to do that cultivation to be quiet within we're not asking you to do that we're asking you to hey there's an emotion that show up can you can you look at this emotion and let it pass through you we're not talking about zenning out we're not talking about not facing the fears that you are having but can you look at them mm -hmm. and and recognize them acknowledge them mm -hmm. and then you know acknowledge them yeah and and the reason we are so adamant and passionate about telling people it's not about stopping your thoughts it's because we've been through that right we've meditated our combined meditation years is probably 30 and i have gone to a point where i was just so frustrated right like and i went to my teacher and i said do I have to wait until I'm as old as you are before my <laughs> right before my brain <laughs> shuts up <laughs> And so he took a look at me <laughs> and he literally just whacked my head across. And he says, Val, if one day you realize or you found out or you notice that your brain is not thinking, I suggest you get an MRI. <laughs> 
because your brain is supposed to think. It is designed and built to think. Meditation is simply a, a way, a method to optimize the thoughts. What do you want to spend your thoughts on? What do you want to spend your energies inside your brain on? Wow. I'm kind of having an epiphany now from what you guys said because it's so true because I used to literally say, you know, I don't like meditation because like I don't want to do nothing. I know this is such an ignorant statement to make, but that's what I used to say. So thank you for showing that it's possible. And I'm really interested in hearing more about like how do you explain, or maybe you don't work with people like that, like how do you explain the importance of spirituality to people who might not really get it as much or people who want to focus on the practicalities of that? I don't know if you work with them or do you explain or um, how, how do you guys work with that? I think a lot of times people come to us with this. We always ask them like, what do you want? Like, what do you need right now in order for you to move your business forward in order to move your life forward? And 90% of the time we get the answer. Oh, I need some clarity. Like I don't know what's what's the next best step to take. What would be the what would be the thing that I need to do that will really move the needle or you know push this thing forward. And a lot of times, how I see spirituality and practicality is this piece about clarity. When you're not listening to yourself, or you're unable to listen to yourself, or you're denying whatever that's going on inside within you, you cannot have any clarity. Mm-hmm. I also see any and all forms of coaching, whether you're a life coach, a transformational coach, an executive coach, a spiritual coach, so long as you're coaching, you're doing the work of helping your clients um, recognize where they are, where they want to be, and you sort of like guide them and sherpa them along this path from where they are towards where they want to be. And you can call it different names. Ours is spiritual because we clean up your spiritual house, for example, and we give you a spiritual roadmap. I know that in the Western part of the world, it's very easy to associate spirituality with religion. Or I, and this has actually happened to me, like ghosts. So they say, so you see ghosts when they come to us. Um, no, to us, we define it kind of like the way traditional Chinese medicine, TCM, defines it. Your house of spirituality is your mental vitality, right? You can see whether this person is there or not, right? From the light of his or her eyes. That light is spirituality. It's not so much dogma. It's not meditation for 20 minutes twice a day. It's not... It's not any of the common misperception that we like to associate it with, but it's more of like recognizing what other stories that you're telling yourself or you have been telling yourself that no longer works for where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'd like to give you an example if we have some time. Yes. So like, for example, a lot of times maybe as a child, we, we felt ignored or denied of attention. And we want and we want to seek the acknowledgement, especially that stamp of approval from a particular parent. And so we let that be our driving force. And because of that driving force, we become type A overachievers. We do really, really well in our careers. We do really, really well in our business, all because we want to prove a certain parent right or we want to gain the approval. And then there comes a point in your business, especially if you're running your own business, especially if you're a leader of a company, whereby what has brought you here? It's the precise thing that's stopping you from moving further. So that drive, that need for approval 
can no longer drive you forward anymore. Instead of giving you that energy or that passion that you need to move your career forward or to move your business forward is actually holding you back. And that's when people come to us. Amen. Yeah, I really think that everybody who owns a business, they really should come to you because that is so true. You know, that personal experience and people that I have worked with as well, you know, just friends and people from my masterminds, I totally get that. So um, what would you give? So you guys have gave me an interesting story when you guys were in LA, when you guys were in Seattle, and I kind of interviewed immigrants from like different stages. So like, what advice would you give to people um, immigrating to the U.S., starting their own business, what would you um, advise on? Well, for me, it's really just go for it and stick to it. Right? I feel like when, when, well, let's talk about the bunch of us who made a choice to immigrate. Right? It is a choice to immigrate. And and just being able, this person who has this, this resilience to actually make this choice to immigrate, to move to another country, to start a new life there, you already have the grit and the resilience and the courage and the whatever resources, inner resources that you actually need to start a business. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. For me, it would really be to find a place you can call home within yourself that is accessible to you no matter which part of the world you're in because it's it is quite a journey right there's this cultural assimilation there is even language barriers um and then just so many different things that you are getting used to in addition to building a business in addition to finding a place you can feel at home physically in whatever city or country you choose to choose to move to and to really help you through all those ups and downs. And there will be ups and there will be downs. It's really to be able to feel at home within yourself, wherever you are. Mm, that's amazing. So what kind of uh, favorite client stories do you have? Like, can you tell us more about your transformations of your clients who are able to go from like a certain point, maybe they're kind of like a hot mess. And then after working with you, how are they able to uh, transform? Ooh. We have to pick. We have to pick one. <laughs> yeah, like it's, not, it's not like favoritism. It's just whatever one you can remember. Let's just put it that way, so you don't get in trouble with anything. Let's do best sex ever. Oh, all right. <laughs> we don't get Love into it. it that often. Yeah, this is explicit. I have the explicit label, so you guys can curse and you know talk about sex and you know, <laughs> drugs, alcohol. All, we can all talk about that. Yes, I'm very excited. So we we, we worked with a client who came to us specifically to ask the question of what's next so this is already like a six-figure business owner and she wanted to know like how how can she bring her business in a more expensive way like she's more longer interested in working harder and more hours and you know doing all of that because there's already a container that has been built but how can we bring more ease and flow into the business such as you can spend less time working in the business and just more time being the leader of the business working mm -hmm. on the business so we came to that and then came to a point whereby we were talking about what do we allow ourselves to lose our space to what do we give our power away to in our daily lives right like where i where do you feel like you are losing control so to speak of yourself um in the business as well as in the personal life and 
obviously that then distilled down to a particular uh, pattern that she has just learned simply from growing up in Midwest or was it middle America, right? Just yeah. the environment you're surrounded with, the, the idealism, the behavior, the society expectations and obligations. And that just unconsciously in the background becomes a part of your narrative, right? It tells you a certain way you should behave. It tells you, it sort of like steers you towards certain decisions that you have made. And so the belief that in order to grow my business to a seven figure, I need to spend more time. I need to work harder. I need to maybe... Uh, I need to sweat more, bleed more, and have cry more. <laughs> right. Exactly. So we worked with her through that. Like what was the old narrative that she had bought into or believed in? Like release that and bring in a new belief and a new empowering narrative that will pull her towards where she wants to be. Do you remember what the new narrative is? It was along the lines of the more I enjoy myself, the more successful I become. Along along the lines oh, that of that, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good, pretty good place to be, right? The more you enjoy yourself, the more successful you get. Um, and so that was what she came for. She wanted to work on the business, but what was also happening was that she was translating what she has learned in her personal life, and instead of, you know, feeling this push and pull between her and her partner, like feeling like each time she wants to grow, she has to be mindful about not overshadowing or not overpowering her partner. Because again, middle America, that's this male-female hierarchy. And what was so interesting was when we asked her for like, when we did that, what we call a completion ceremony. So basically a review of what we've done, what were the progresses and just like a a stock take of what has happened. She, She said, I'm going to tell you this. I'm surprised. I'm even going to say this out loud. But because of our work together, I've just had the best sex ever. (laughs) With a partner. Because there was this implicit trust now versus this trying to be wary of the other person. But now Mm -hmm. you are just trusting that this person has got your back. And it's true. It's true how like as, as a woman, when you can fully trust your own power, like when you know that you are powerful and you can fully just trust that power, you allow a part of you, like you can trust that there's no control, right? In an environment. And you can trust that your partner is taking care of you. And that is when you allow yourself to fully show up and fully flow. Like, you know what I'm talking about. So good. Yeah. (laughs) That is amazing. Cool. So can you share with us more about your book? You know, if you, if you can, um, and how, how can we work with you? How can we continue the conversation? So the book is, we have finished about, about 70% of the writing right now. And we, uh, need to, you know, Shop it around. Go back to, we're we're actually creating a book proposal right now and looking Mm -hmm. at different publishers. Yeah. Um, so we've made the decision not to self-publish this book. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be a, well, if you know any potential good <laughs> yes. just like send them our way. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. And, and really we, we hope that the book will be a physical form or audio or electronical form of inspiration that you can refer to anytime you feel like, what's the point? <laughs> and we all do time yeah, to time. Yes, yes. Um, or anytime we feel like 
this impending sense of rejection or failure, it could be a resource that you can go to and, and be re-energized and inspired. And it's a book that you can pass on to your kids and their kids to really remind yourself that, you know, believe that dreams can come true and they will. That's amazing. And then how can we work with you? How can we find you online? Absolutely. We can be found on tayandbell.com. That's T-A-Y and V-A-L.com. And I think you will post up. Yes, I will post it down below. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. And just as a welcome gift and to thank you all so much for gifting us your attention because it's such a rare commodity these days. Um, We would love to gift all of you a guide to find and uh, distill what your sole purpose is i think once you have and remember i talk about that place and you feel at home within of yourself we give it a name we call it your sole purpose and we have a four-part audio that's completely free for you to access and download and if you enjoyed it and would like to explore how we can work together further after that just feel free to hit reply to those emails and get in touch Perfect. So that is on your website. Thank you so much for being on the show. I learned so much. There's some new things. You can you guys can see the video. I'm like having some revelations here. So thank you so much for sharing, you know, your journeys and your experience. And hope to have you on future shows to come. Absolutely. Awesome. When the book launches. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you.